If I were a prophet, I would prophesy that everyone in the room will like the beginning of the sermon and find it appealing and engaging. And then from there, some of you will like it and some of you won't like it at all. But I'm not a prophet. Or as one of my friends said, I'm not a prophet, but I do work for a nonprofit organization. No, he said, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I do work for a nonprofit organization. Anyway. So, to introduce our study this morning, I just want to let you know that we're going to be talking about people that you don't like. I invite you to think about people you don't like. See, you like the sermon already. Think about people you don't like because of their morality or lack of morality. Think of people you don't like because of their political views. Think of people you don't like because they're foolish when it comes to God and His ways. Think of people you don't like who aren't Christians in particular. Unbelievers that upset you. Unbelievers that make you mad. Unbelievers that act like unbelievers. Think about those kinds of people. More specifically, think about people who are leaders who you don't like. Unbelieving leaders who promote policies, who have views, who are against Christians, against Christian morality, against Christian freedoms, and the list could go on. See, you like the intro, don't you? It just appeals to us because we can all think of people we don't like. And we can all think of unbelievers we don't like. And if you can't think of anybody that you disagree with and therefore you don't like, then you're probably not paying attention. They make us upset because we think they're foolish, disobedient to God, misguided, selfish, promoting chaos, anything but truly loving, and they're against Christians. Well, have I got a message for you. In Titus chapter 3, we have a doozy. And it's relevant. It's timely. So if you have a Bible, you can look at Titus chapter, chapter 3. I notice some of you are just joining us. We're studying through this little book. Uh, and we're in chapter 3 right now. And the title of the sermon, if you like sermon titles, Your Godliness, Christians, Your Godliness Amidst the Ungodly. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. The op- the, you can look at it in three portions. The opening couple of verses uh, gives us commands to Christians. Strong commands, strong exhortations about how we're to live in an unbelieving world where there are antagonists against us, in particular leaders. And then what happens, the second phase, if you will, of the first eight verses, the Apostle Paul goes to the gospel. And he reminds us as Christians how the gospel works. First and foremost, how it worked in our life. So that we'll think differently about those people that make us so upset. And then he ends with, in the last verse, verse 8, with with a recap and a call for the pastor in particular, Titus, to really stress this way of thinking. And so I'll do my best to really stress this way of thinking. And I hope you make it to the end. Because I can't really stress this way of thinking if you're not here. So, 
I guess my initial pragmatic prayer is, you let me do my job today. Your godliness amidst the ungodly. Just with the title alone, it's probably not what you're thinking. Right? When I just, when I just read that, your godliness, yeah, my godliness. Amidst the ungodly. Yeah, and there's a lot of ungodly people and I'm godly. I can't wait for this sermon. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, we're going to look at the opening two verses. Here are the commands to professing Christians. It says in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Remind. It's grammatically in the Greek text, uh, as it was originally written, uh, worded in such a way, keep reminding, always be reminding. This is part of your pastoral ministry. Be reminding them, that would be Christians, be reminding them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, still likely to rulers and authorities, to be ready for every good work. That seems to be broader, but would apply to leaders and authorities. You go, well, I'm already dealing with words I don't like. If there's anything I don't like, it's submission. If it means I have to submit. Um, I don't really like rulers either. Um, Americans typically don't, by the way. Authorities, I'm not too big on those unless I'm the authority. Uh, and I'm not too into obedience either. So it's kind of the bam, 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 bam. Wow. And now I'm supposed to remind you. So now that my nose is bloodied, then I have to say, you need to obey these people. You need to be submissive to these people. People we don't like. People we disagree with. To be ready for every good work. I like that part because it seems kind of nebulous, but it's in the context here. Every good work seems to be related to acting that way. And what's so fascinating is... Paul keeps talking about good works in this letter, that salvation is not by good works. Salvation is only by God's grace through Christ. But that leads to good works. And we ended last time in chapter 2, seeing this fascinating connection between the work of Jesus, His work, that leads to our good works. And it makes sense in our minds. And we're like, yeah, that's good. That's right. That's good theology. But today it's getting more practical and it maybe rubs us a little bit the wrong way because now it's, those good works show up, guess how? By you submitting to the governing authorities. That's a good work. Well, that wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking to do nice things for people who I think are nice. I was looking to do good for people I think are good. And it seems like the good works here that's, that is the fruit of salvation has to do with our obedience Okay, so far, so good. Obedience to God. I like that because it's kind of nebulous. Let's get practical. Respect for governing authorities who are unbelievers. I'm not so into that. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. What kind of rulers does he have in mind? Well, I've already kind of told you what I think. Titus is pastoring on the island of Crete. Even in the letter, we learn what kind of people reside in Crete. And they're not, the, the, the population there, it's not overrun with people with Judeo-Christian values. 
our letter would have us to know that. But even if we look outside of our letter, just looking at their culture would have us to know that. It's a pagan culture. Okay? Polytheism. Immorality. They don't have Judeo-Christian worldviews. And so their leaders at this point in time, we would not, it would be a terrible assumption to assume they have Judeo-Christian values. They're pagans. And he says, does he not? I know he does. Be submissive to those rulers and authorities and to be obedient. To be ready for every good work. First and foremost, as it would relate to them, it could be broader than that. So they have pagan worldviews, pagan customs, pagan morality, and we're called to do that and be like that. It reminds me a little bit, it's not exactly the same, but it reminds me a little bit when, when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Caesar? Pagan government? I mean, to this day, you can go to the Middle East and see altars to Caesar. Caesar was a bad guy who did bad things. And yet there's an acknowledgement even by Jesus that that governing authority has his place. As sinful as he is. And we could look at other texts and we will, but this, this is important for us as Christians. Let's think about this in the 21st century in Omaha, Nebraska, in our little Crete. I've preached in Crete, Nebraska before and it's kind of fun to talk about and anyway, I won't go there, but you kind of want to say you saw all these bad people in Crete because they're all liars, evil, gluttons. That's what Titus says. Anyway, I digress. People from Crete are awesome. <laughs> Point being, in Omaha, Nebraska, where we're doing ministry, where Omaha Bible Church exists, we need to remember that this is a call to a local church to pro proclaim Christ. To proclaim the good news of salvation to unbelievers. That's what believers do. And church is for believers. And they come and they worship and they become equipped and they get encouraged. But they go and they preach Christ. And Titus emphasizes this a lot. What's our relationship like with this lost, anti-Christian environment in this letter, it's to preach Christ to them. Not raw morality and culture change. So when we put it in the 21st century in Omaha, Nebraska, and we say, okay, what can we learn from this in principle because this should be practical to us? Guess what? We're called to preach Christ. We're called to preach the gospel to people. That's what we're called to be and that's what we're called to do. And what we don't want, and we've already seen this in the letter, is to have our conduct be completely out of whack with the gospel we profess. Gospel shouldn't lead to anarchy. Shouldn't lead to, to bad works, disrespect, evil speaking. Should lead to things like self-control. Respect for authority that God establishes. Because God establishes pagan authorities. Romans, Romans 13. So if Omaha Bible Church wants to have a great ministry in Omaha, Nebraska and beyond, part of that is knowing the gospel and that it's not by works, it's only by grace and, and knowing what it is. And Titus has been helping us with that. But part of it too is to know our place in this world. 
This is not the new Jerusalem. We wouldn't even be having these conversations. Kind of stings. But it's a real helpful reminder for me, and I hope it is for you. You know, my mission in life as a Christian is not to insult people who are unbelievers who disagree with my morality or attack them in the name of Christ especially. How about verse 2? In verse 2, as we're acting... How about, let's just go to verse 2. To speak evil of no one. Now, I don't want to take away from what it says... But he's not saying you can't disagree with someone. He's not saying you can't speak harshly about someone, because in this letter he does. But in particular in this letter, he speaks harshly toward professing Christians who preach a gospel that's not really the gospel. He expects professing Christians to act like and teach like professing Christians. And when they don't, he calls them on it in a pretty harsh way. Maybe borderline evil. He's talking about the unbelieving world, first and foremost. Speak evil of no one. He's not going to say you can't say they're wrong. We're going to get to that. In fact, he's going to say they're wrong in effect. But speak evil of no one. There's respect involved. How about let's keep going. To avoid quarreling. Another person translated that not contentious argumentative with them. That's just what you do. To be gentle. It's related to the word forbearing. could be translated that way. Gentle, forbearing. There's a patience involved. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Two things I want to say about that that might help you appreciate it. To show could mean just to to, to act this way, but at least one Greek grammar expert says that doesn't quite capture it. It actually has the intent to show this, to have it be visible. That this isn't just thinking happy thoughts in your heart, but you're you're to act this way in such a way that it it can actually be seen. And then maybe another thing that's of interest, and some of your translations render it this way so you I won't be telling you anything new, but it could be rendered this way toward the end of that verse. And to show all courtesy toward all people. I'm reading from the ESV translation and it says to show perfect courtesy toward all people. He uses the same Greek word though, to show all courtesy toward all people. He's he's doing it for emphasis and I don't want you to miss that. Perfect is a fine way to look at it. It's a maturing idea. But but he's making the point uh, that we might miss in English. It's it's all courtesy. It's it's a genuine courtesy. It's It's an emphatic courtesy and it's to everyone. In effect, it doesn't really matter who they are or how bad they are. This should be demonstrated by you if you're a Christian. I need to hear this. I really do. 
And I'm just sinful enough to think that you need to, need to hear more than I do. <laughs> I don't really mean that, except for some of you. I mean, right? I mean, you, you kind of think, I've had it up to about here. And I don't just think that way, I talk that way sometimes. How in the world am I going to show a genuine courtesy to pagan authorities? Well, I know where the source of strength and empowerment is going to come from because it is a good work because it's what God tells me to do and He tells me it's good. And that comes from the gospel in light of chapter 2. But this is great providence for us. Right message, right time to go, oh yeah. It's interesting how Paul does this in different letters. It comes up in Romans. Peter does it in First Peter. I'll probably reference that later. We have it being referenced here. We have it in other places as well because this is a real issue. This has been a real issue. For Christians, since there's been Christianity... a good reminder. It's no wonder Paul says, keep reminding them of this. You can jot down Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 17, close context, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Then Romans 13 has to do with the government and God establishing the government, even a Roman government, a pagan government, to serve a certain purpose. Here's some pushback from me. Here's how I think. I'll show respect once they act respectable. Right? That's pretty logical, by the way. But that's not the angle Paul's coming from. And remember, Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ according to chapter 1, verse 1. And so this is not the perspective Jesus wants us to have. They're unbelievers. You expect them to act like unbelievers. Now, we would like them to become believers. They're unbelievers. So we're to have a certain kind of respect even for them even when they don't act respectfully. I'm not saying this is all cut and dry and this is all easy and I'm giving you all the answers to all the questions. I might even be raising more questions. But this, we're not isolating this passage. It's in other places, multiple places. Too many times Christians are known for people who behave badly and don't respect authority. And we're supposed to be known for good works. That, don't, that doesn't contradict our message and to be the, the most respectful of people. Once they're respectable, we'll show them respect. That brings us 
to the to the rationale behind this. Here's what here's where it gets it it's it's good. It's all good. But the, the here's where Paul brings the gospel to bear on this. Because he he thinks apparently, I'm going to put it in these terms at least, that we easily get gospel amnesia. And we forget. We forget how God was with us. And so we forget how God might be with other people and we don't act the way God acted toward us in our actions toward other people. So what he does is he gives the rationale, the theology behind it. Okay? This is, this is super, super helpful. Let's go ahead and look. Verses 3 to 7. For we ourselves, talking to Christians, were once foolish. How about that? He's not saying that the unbelieving pagan governing authority isn't foolish. He isn't saying that you have to be a moral relativist. In fact, here he's saying they are foolish by implication. My inter- in my introduction, I borrowed from this verse as I was describing unbelieving leaders. But then he says, hey, you, you too were once foolish. They are foolish, but you too were once foolish. And it would seem in the context here, foolish regarding God and His ways. Disobedient to God, to God and His law. Led astray, which by the way, led astray is what happens when you are foolish regarding God. You, you'll, you'll buy anything. You're, you're easily led, led astray. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. If it feels good, do it kind of thing, morality. Passing our days in malice or badness or, or, or evil thinking. We're just, we're passing the time away doing whatever we want to do. We just do bad because it's in our nature. But he's saying, you, you, we, we, we ourselves were once like that. And then let's keep going. And envy hated by others and hating one another. That's the opposite of what God's law says, right? We're supposed to love one another. And he's saying, hated by others and hating others. Now, at first you might want to say, knee-jerk reaction, I wasn't like that. Oh, yes, you were. Even if you didn't know you were like that. Even if you're cleaned up on the outside, you were like that spiritually. He's including everybody. Paul's a universalist. <laughs> when it comes to the doctrine of depravity, except for Jesus. We, all, we were all like that. Even if you look good on the outside. We were, we were all foolish when it, when it comes to knowing God. Even when we were being nice, we weren't loving our neighbor as ourself. And the rationale of 1 John would have us to know that if it's not true love, then it's the opposite. It's actually hate when it comes to the divine standard. It's pretty bizarre to think that my whole life as an unbeliever, I was just busy being hated. I, can, I guess I can see that. <laughs> and hating other people. Because it wasn't true love. At least from God's perspective, that's how he would label it. So maybe you don't think you were like that, but you actually were in the eyes of God. And now we're on to something. Now we can get some traction. Because you can think of your least favorite governing official. I probably shouldn't have done that because I just caused you to sin. And you can think, they're such a fool when it comes to God. They're disobedient to God. You can just go down this list. And I would want you to know, as an unbeliever, you're right. They are those things. 
but you're still called to be respectful and showing them honor as an authority. And you can do this where Paul is going because you get the gospel, that the gospel isn't good news for good people because you yourself of all people should know that you weren't good. You were this kind of person. The kind of person you see them as now was true of you. And if you get that, then all of a sudden grace makes sense. And now all of a sudden you can be tolerant and respectful toward people who you disagree with who are unbelievers. It changes everything. And I know most of you know this. I know this. I know this so well I could preach a sermon about it. But I get the amnesia thing. And so I need to be reminded and be reminding like he says in verse 1. Or my conduct is going to be all out of whack. No doubt, this passage would affirm your thinking if you think these people are hard to love. That's right, they are. And you can relate to that. They're difficult to get along with. That's right, they are. Not to mention they're difficult to submit to. How about verse verse 4? But when the goodness... And loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He's talking about the coming of Jesus. He, God, saved us. Personal, right? And we love this passage out of context, and that's good. But let's love it in context as well. When we come to grips with who we were, and how God saved us when we were in that state, then we can look at other people differently, and we can be patient because we're going to be imitators of God. But let's just have our little gospel moment, little come-to-Jesus moment, and worship Him in light of this awesome, awesome reality that the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, and He saved us from our our foolishness and from our our hating and being hated and all of those other bad things. And then keep reading, if you would, in verse 4, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not because we were keeping the standard. But according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration. Here's God. By the washing, the cleansing of regeneration. Notice it's, well, let's keep reading. Washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I wrote in my my margin. Done to us, not by us. God is doing this. The Spirit is doing this. It's done to us, cleansing us, making us clean, making us new. It's not a partnership thing. It's all God. Whom He, notice it's all Him, He, because He's loving, because He's merciful in our context here, whom He poured out on us, how? Richly, abundantly. Wink, wink in our context, liberally. Right? Holding nothing back. Through Jesus Christ, our uh, personal, our Savior that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In 
verses 4 to 7 are some of my very, 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 very favorite verses in the whole Bible. I'm probably not alone. It's, it's a go-to text. We go there to show it's only by grace. It's only through faith, only in Christ. Justification is the work of God. It's awesome. He declares us righteous, even though we're not righteous, based upon the righteousness of Christ. Earlier in chapter 2, God in Christ doesn't hold our lawless deeds against us. Well, the complementary idea is here. Yeah, in Christ, He doesn't hold our lawless deeds against us. We're lawless and we commit lawless deeds, but He doesn't hold them against us in Christ. And here we have the positive side of it. He actually gives us righteousness that comes from Christ so that we can be justified. We're declared righteous in His eyes before His court of law. Oh, it's so good. So awesome. And I just invite you to just just bathe your mind in it. I mean, we, we should we should worship in in light of this. This is this is this is pinnacle, high point, awesome. The cure to your doubts. The fuel, if you will, the, 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 the driver, I'm looking for a nicer, softer word. Cure was a good one. Uh, <laughs> this is where assurance comes from. The work of Christ is done. It's awesome. Personally from God. But it's in a context. And the context is, remember who you were when this happened. You are a spiritual fool. Just like you think blank is. So if we can think that way, we can be patient. If we think we're better, inherently good, we're not going to be patient. But if you can remember, as one of my high school friends said, if you can remember that you're unsavable, you're so bad. And then you see the unsavable, because we're all unsavable, saved only by the work of Jesus. Now you can look at all these people that you think are so bad and say, yeah, they're fools. I should be respectful toward them because God has put them in the place of authority, though. This is, me- this is messing with my life. But there's something about it that's exciting. I, I feel like I would be remiss of my duties if I... Did. I this, is, this detracts and I don't want to insult your intelligence because you all are smart enough to know, but... It's, it is amazing, as an aside, how many people use Titus chapter 3 to try to prove that you're justified because you're baptized. It's an aside, but let's at least look, because I, I know it's the go-to text by so, from so many people. Sorry to take away from the fun we're having. So, he saved us, it's all him. 
not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's not a good thing that we do. By the way, baptism would be a good thing. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, it's not by the washing of water, it's washing of regeneration. So if you have a Bible at this point in time, you can turn it upside down and shake it. And no water will come out of Titus 3. Okay? It's a dry text. It's a dry washing. It's figurative. Shaking my iPad erased the screen. Just kidding. Washing, it's washing all right, but it's figurative because it's washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not water baptism. Whom he poured all, see, it's baptism. Stop it. Whom he poured out. What did he pour out? He poured out his Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, being justified by his grace. You get the idea, and I at least needed to go there in your mind. And so you can say, don't confuse me with the facts. I know what I believe. No, don't say that. Look at the text. Look at the text. It's a good time for me to remind you that we're called, big picture of Titus, we're called to preach the gospel. We're not called to preach morality. For now, I'll say period. When it comes to what we want someone to get from us and hear from us who's an unbeliever. I want to be the, like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In some ways, in some ways, I don't want them to clean up their act and act like Christians if they're not Christians. But now we're getting into bringing up more questions. I can see this is going to be a two-parter. <laughs> Maybe. We, we have to remember, what, what are we trying to do? What, how, how did we end up where we are? It's because of God's patience in getting the gospel to us. We just can't forget that. We have to keep our message on point. So many things I want to say. So many rocks left unturned. Let's move on to, to, to the reiteration of this. He says in verse 8, The saying is trustworthy. Now before we keep going, that's so interesting because Paul does this on multiple occasions especially in the pastoral letters, he talks about the saying, the saying, the saying. We see it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, to give you two examples. What he's using, he's utilizing, is things that had already become Christian sayings before this had been written. Christians are already having ways of saying things. Christ died for our sins. And for example, 2 Timothy 2.11, Thus saying is trustworthy, for if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. That could have been super helpful in the early church where they didn't have Bibles. If we died with Him, we'll live with Him. If we died with Him, we'll live with Him. 
Christians are memorizing that and saying that and encouraging one another in their, in, in their senses of discomfort and suffering. If we died with him, we'll live with him. These are Christian sayings. And the Apostle Paul utilizes some of them and they become scripture better than Christian sayings. Well, he utilizes that here. Sorry for the aside, but the saying is trustworthy, but then he doesn't go on to unpack it. This is a unique place. So commentators tend to think he's referring to something that he said before. And there's debate about what exactly. But I'm okay with going quite a ways back in the opening verses. The saying is trustworthy. What I'm trying to teach you here is good gospel truth. It's basic Christianity. That God and God alone saves according to His awesome love, I'm paraphrasing, and, and mercy and kindness. And it's all what He does for us in Christ so that we are justified. That, that, that saying is trustworthy. Now if we go back even further and look at the context, and, and not only that, the fruit of that is good works. Not only that, we're, 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 we're not here to try to change the culture through morality. We're here to try to change the culture through the gospel, which will lead to a change in morality. Yes, okay, we can go there. But the, the idea is the saying regarding the gospel and what the gospel is and how you used to be this kind of bad person and now you're a Christian because of him and now you need to look at unbelievers a certain way like you used to be seen by God. It's, it's a trustworthy saying. I didn't do a very good a job explaining that, but it's best I could do for today. I think it's the gospel and its implications. How about that? Then he says in verse 8, and I want you to insist on these things. Or as one person rendered it, I want you to stress these things. That would complement verse 1. I want you to beat this drum. I want you to say this. I want you to repeat this. I want you to keep reminding people of this is how the gospel works. And the gospel isn't for good people. It's because of the goodness of Jesus and the kindness of God. And that leads you to seeing unbelievers who are fools about God through a different lens, a lens of patience. You'll never, you'll, you'll never be a good evangelist. You'll never be a good gospel-promoting, pro gospel-defending church if you don't get this. Insist on these things. Stress these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. In our context, those good works seem to have to do with being good citizens. These things, these things regarding God and the way He saves sinners and then produces fruit in their lives, these things are excellent and profitable for people. Good words for Titus. I told you, you need to keep emphasizing this and stressing this. And you might get some pushback and people might not like it too much, but I want you to know this is profitable. This is good. This is right. This is what they need to hear. The gospel of grace stressed, so it's a proper motivation for good works. Right now, if you want to publish a book and, and sell a lot of books in, in our kinds of circles, just put the, just put the words gospel-centered by it. Super trendy. And I'm thankful for it. I like gospel-centered. I think the Bible is gospel-centered. I think 
the gospel is gospel-centered. I think Jesus is God. I think, I think the triune God is gospel-centered. I, I'm, I'm into gospel-centered. But it's super trendy, it's super cool, and it will pass. So we're going to have gospel-centered, gospel-centered, gospel-centered. Hurry, let's have gospel-centered bookmarks. And what? Not even funny. Trinkets, right? Here's the thing, though. This actually is a gospel-centered perspective. If we're called to proclaim the gospel to an unbelieving world, we'd better protect it in Titus. We'd better oppose those who profess to be Christians who promote something else. And we'd better understand our relationship as God would want it to be with pagan governmental rulers and authorities. And we're actually called to be respectful. Gospel-centered would lead to that. Remember who you used to be. This raises questions. I have at least, I have three of, the, three of them numbered. And here are the questions, and we'll talk about them next time. And we'll look at some other passages to try to answer some of these questions. Is this a call to moral relativism? Which brings up another question. Aren't we called to preach the law so that the gospel will make sense? Hmm. Next time. Two. Submission under every circumstance? Preview, answer, no. We'll look at at least two passages when it comes to that. Three, pacifism, question mark. Preview, answer, yes and no. With some notes and comments about Dietrich Bonhoeffer thrown in just for good measure. Because evangelicals love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay, so what I'm going to try to do is next time answer some of these questions, other questions from other texts, because we, there, there, there are important questions that need to be answered. And it's not always nice and neat. So today I did my best to try to make our text relatively clear. But there's more to be said, more to be thought about as we engage this world around us as, remember, strangers and aliens. It seems really hard and weird to live here. Well, if you're not a citizen, it can be hard and weird to live somewhere. So we should have questions, by the way. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that salvation is awesome and amazing because he is powerful to save. To save us from our sin, to save us from our selfishness, to save us from one another, to save us from Satan, to save us ultimately from you and your just condemnation that we would otherwise all receive. Do help us as we leave to to be respectful to you ultimately and to those you've placed over us. Help us to begin thinking even more appropriately and properly 
as how we might live out our citizenship. For we know we're citizens of heaven in Christ, and yet so many of us are are citizens of this country and have responsibilities. So give us wisdom, help us from your word, bless us and keep us in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.